Good morning, church. You seem a little quiet this morning. Is it daylight savings time? Almost. How many are ready for the word? Oh, it's good. It is, today is good. Oh, man. I even have some opening jokes I may cry through because I know where I'm headed in this sermon. It's just good. It's so good. It's mostly the word. I'm going to actually, most of my sermon is just reading out of the word. And uh, if you have any complaints about today's sermon, I didn't write it. Because it's from the word. Quite literally, every point, and I've, I've got many, is just word after word after word. It's going to be so good. You know, Wednesday we had a car wash. Can you hear me out there? I need a little bit more up here. We had a, we had a car wash. And we were, it was not for the public, though we did have some people come from the public and we didn't turn them away. We used it as an outreach opportunity and loved on them and gave them pizza. But it was really just to honor team exchange to say thank you for being a part of this house and being a volunteer. And our, our staff were out there um, and our young people, our youth team was out there. It, it was just great. It was a great day. Thank you for coming out if you were able to make it out. Um, I was texting out some of some people saying, trying to get you out there. And I realized how many people we have that live very far away from this church. Uh, so if you drive a good distance, know that you're not alone. Like several people, I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to put that much pressure on them. That's like a 45 minute drive, an hour drive. Um, but you guys are faithful every week. So thank you for being here. Um, anyway, it was amazing because the storms were rolling in. You know, it was raining like on, I don't know, Monday and Tuesday-ish. And I got a couple of texts saying, was this a good week to plan a car wash? And and I said, well, we're doing it rain or shine. If it rains, we're just going to tell the volunteer that God wanted in on the wash. <laughs> and he wanted to honor them too. But as we were out back with the, the one hose and the cars and the pizza and, and the storm clouds were rolling in, uh, just before the first car showed up, we all prayed. We got together and we prayed for a bubble over our area because we just wanted so so bad to honor our team. And the clouds got darker and darker and darker, and we saw lightning in the distance on all four sides. But the skies were absolutely clear above the Exchange Church. And, you know, I don't know if it was God or not, but he likes to show off that way. He likes to answer those little silly prayer requests that we have. You know what I mean? It meant something to our team to be able to honor the volunteers. And would you know, at 9 o'clock when we went to set the alarm and leave, um, I was standing under the portico here. I was one of the last ones to leave. And our first strike of lightning came in this area, and then it started to rain. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us the bubble, and thank you for removing it, because we need the rain. So it was just, it was so good. You know, we've had some rain over the last couple of weeks, which has been nice. Not enough to revive my front yard, but it's been nice getting the rain. But since the year 2000, so 22 years now, we've been in the worst drought. America has been in the worst drought in 12 centuries. 12 centuries is a very long time. If, if you don't know how to do the math on that, um, the drought we're currently living in is worse than any other drought since the year 800 AD. Yeah, I pulled some articles today just to kind of underscore the drought that we're in. The first one is from the Texas Tribune. It says, Texas is facing the worst drought since 2011. The New York Times says, Mississippi's capital loses water as troubled system faces a fresh crisis. Al Jazeera says, U.S. states hit by extreme drought face more water cuts. United Nations News says, American West faces water and power shortages due to climate crisis. Our friends at the World Economic Forum say, why businesses must act together to alleviate the global water crisis. EU Science Hub says droughts in Europe 
in July 2022, almost half of the EU and UK territory at risk. Another says drought in Africa threatens millions of children. New York Times says Mexico's cruel drought. Here you have to chase the water. We are living in a drought. And the title of my sermon today is A River That Won't Run Dry. Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much for our time together. I thank you for your word that's going to come alive today to so many of us. I thank you that you're going to shift atmospheres. You're going to shift relationships. You're going to shift homes in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just ask for you to shake up our theology. We ask you to shake up our tradition shake up the boundaries that we've set, the, the rooms that we've allowed you into and we've, we've not allowed you into. God, I just ask that you invade all the space, all the space today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen, amen. I, a couple of weeks ago, I was laughing at my daughter, Addison, because, and she's serving in e-kits today, so she doesn't have to hear this and you don't have to tell her I said this. But she was sweeping the floor, and uh, she, she kind of got in a bad mood. One second. Uh, talk of drought made me thirsty. <laughs> it may have you as well, which is why I gave you a small water bottle when you came in, uh, because you're in a place where uh, there's no shortage of water. Do you hear me? You're in a place where there's no shortage of water. Now, I'm not talking about Ozarka. Some of you are like, I know there's a shortage. At Walmart, there was no water. I'm not talking about physical water. I'm talking about spiritual water. Today, there is no shortage of water. Addison was sweeping, and she kind of got annoyed, and she said, who's bringing in all the hay? I said, hey, girl, we don't live on a farm. For those that don't know, we live in, in downtown Pflugerville. We don't live on a farm. I was like, let me see that hay, because I'm curious now. I'm like, is there some old scarecrow in the garage that the dogs brought in? I'm... Anyway, I look, and I'm like, Addison Monet, that is our front yard grass that has died. <laughs> that is not hay. We're in a drought. My yard can testify. We are in a, a drought. And, and my grass isn't dead because I'm virtue signaling or anything like that. Like, oh, I'm not going to spend the water because I just don't want to spend the money on the water to water the grass. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, I'm not there. Um, but my grass is not there either anymore. I'm paying, paying the price of that. We know from Scripture that there will be massive shortages of drinkable water in the end of days. We know that to be true. Immediately before the return of Christ and the months leading up to his return, uh, there will be shortages of water, and that's detailed in Revelation 8, Revelation 11, and Revelation 16. In fact, at one point during the tribulation, there will be two witnesses who's getting the temple built for the Jews um, and the nations are going to despise them because they have the power to shut up the heavens. They have the power to cause rain to fall and cause rain to cease. And, and we're talking about nations who are thirsty for water. I sense now that God is even setting the stage for nations who are thirsting for water. We, we know that in the end of days, the nations are going to continue to see cycles of drought and rain until Jesus comes. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that this is the final drought of all time. I personally believe that it could be. I believe that it is, but I'm not, that's not my point today. If Jesus doesn't come back for another 200 years, we will continue to see cycles of rain and cycles of drought. Drought and rain until Jesus comes. But our text today, I want to take you to the, the end goal, the end game. 
How many of you are, are sensing, at least from the articles and maybe your front yard, you, you're feeling the weight of the drought? You're hearing about the farmers who are unable to water the crops or the farmers who are unable to give water to the livestock. You're, you're sensing even now, like maybe I should stock up on a few bottles of Ozarka or Pure Life, the cheaper version. You know, you're sensing that water is, is sparse. I want to take you in this feeling while we sense a thirsty land. I want to paint a picture of the end. What the Bible says water is going to be like at the end of days. Not, not in the tribulation, not when Jesus returns, not in the thousand year millennium. But I, I'm talking about that point when it's all laid to rest and forever you and I get to live in eternity with God. I'm taking you to Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. I want you to listen about the water. Then the angel showed me, who is John, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Okay, so... When the new Jerusalem comes down to the new heaven and the new earth, God's throne, God's dwelling is now going to be with men. And his throne, from his throne, is going to be a river that flows. A, a river that it says is as bright as crystal. Now this river is going to flow through Main Street. All right, The, the grand city, the big city, the, the thousands of miles in cube city that you and I are going to live, that's going to be our, our resting place, our living place, our dwelling place. In the middle of the city, on Main Street, there's going to be a river that never runs dry. And on either side of that street, the text tells us, on either side of the street of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So there's a tree of life surrounding this river. The river runs through it, and it has 12 fruit. Every month is a different fruit. Isn't that cool? Well, one month is, I don't know, a pomegranate, because that's great on ice cream, the pomegranate seeds. Another month is apples, because those are great in pies. Another month is kiwi, because I just love kiwi. This is not biblical, by the way, for those who don't know. This, this is just my dream tree, okay? This, this will not have a month for peaches, all right? I've had my fill of peaches on earth. I know we've got multiple peach trees and all of that in our home, and God bless peaches. We've got canned peaches. I've had my fill of peaches. Um, thankfully, uh, that, that's over. Uh, no peaches in heaven. <clears throat> Now, if you make me a peach cobbler, that's okay. I'll take it. Okay, I'm just, amen. God is in that. This tree of life, by the way, is the same tree that was in the Garden of Eden. I know you always think about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because that's the one Adam and Eve, you know, partook of. But the tree of life was there as well. And it was producing fruit, a new fruit every month. And that tree they could eat from as much as they wanted. And you're going to too. You're going to be able to eat from the tree of life. The same tree that was in the Garden of Eden will be relocated in New Jerusalem, your home, your city. And you're going to eat from this tree every single month. You get to come and taste the new fruit that's on the tree. Isn't that amazing? Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants, that's you and me, will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the end goal of water. The end goal of water is there is a river that won't run dry. Okay, okay. Uh, that's why I think personally that Satan just hates water. He just hates it. 
He doesn't want it to rain for us when we want it to rain, or he wants, it, he wants to use it for our bad and make it rain too much and cause it to flood and injure people or, or hurt people, or he causes it to drought. Like Satan hates water because water represents something to him, and he knows the story. He knows that there's coming a day that you and I are going to be in that city, and we're going to see the river that's flowing, bright as crystal, that's never going to run dry. The river of life flows from the throne of God, through the center of Main Street on New Jerusalem. Now let's see where the water flows from there. Can you go with me? So we saw it there. Let's just go back now to John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Jesus said to her, there is a woman at the well. They're in Samaria. Uh, Jesus sent his disciples away. He came to Samaria, to the well at, at the 12th hour or the ninth hour of the day to meet a woman. And he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, talking about the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Can you imagine? He, he's referencing now that water that's flowing from the throne. You know, can you see it? The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, living waters, just so you know, in Jesus' time, were waters that were coming from rain, from streams, from rivers, or from oceans. The well was sitting water. It wasn't living water. The woman showed up to dead water, and Jesus offered her living water. You need another example. Let's see where else the water goes. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not given because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right. You see the water flowing out of the throne? Do you see the, can you see it? Can you see it? Can you see it over here? The water's flowing out of the throne, and it's flowing down the great city. And then John 4 tells us that it funnels into our heart. It starts to percolate up, <laughs> and it just you know, creates in us. Then John 7 says, out of our heart flows Rivers of living water. Flowing from the throne into you fills you up. Then it pours out. And John clarifies in John chapter 7 that the rivers of living water is the Holy Spirit. That river flowing from the throne of God down Main Street is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit that is funneling into you, filling you up, coming out of you into a broken and dying world so that it can then fill them up. In John chapter 7, let me give you a bit of history and background real quick. Man, that timer is going so fast today. In John chapter 7, where, where Jesus just said that out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, where Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and I will give him a drink. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Now we're coming upon the fall feast here in September, October, November time frame or the fall feast. I love this time. It is a great prophetic time. It's, a, it's an exciting time. I'm not Jewish, uh, but God established the feast for the Jews to point to Jesus. So I don't celebrate the feast because I'm a Jew. I honor the feast because those feasts point to my Savior. All right. So Feast of Tabernacles was at hand, and Jesus walked in Galilee. He didn't want to walk in Judea because they wanted to kill him. The Jews were conspiring. They were wanting to kill him. He was already making waves in the community. The Pharisees weren't liking him, so he decided to take another route. He, in fact, he sent his disciples up ahead of time to the Feast of Tabernacles, and he told them in John 7, I'll come up later. 
So he comes up later, almost in, I don't know how you want to think about this, uh, in disguise, maybe uh, like the Grinch who stole Christmas. He comes down to the town when they're celebrating Christmas and he's cloaked. Anyone see the Grinch? He's got the little hoodie on and he's doing his thing. Uh, Maybe that's what Jesus shows up to Tabernacles with a little cloak and he's looking and he's watching and he's seeing what they're doing. He wanted it to be in secret. And this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, has to do with water. Cheers. Water being poured out is what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. Water being poured out on the altar. And I love that Jesus in John chapter 7, is taking a a literal element to create or communicate a spiritual truth. He's really cool that way. You know what I mean? Like in in chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 fish and and chips, you know, fish and bread from Long John Silver's. He feeds the people and then he goes away and the people come up to him later and they're wanting him again. And he says to them, you're not here because you saw the sign, like your eyes weren't open to see who I am. You're here because I fed your belly bread. You're here because you want to be filled with more bread, but I am the bread of life. So he takes a physical element to communicate a spiritual truth. And then in uh, John chapter 6, the woman at the well, uh, she, she comes down to the well and he uses physical water to communicate that he is the water of life. He is the river of life. Not that he is the water of life, that he can give the water of life. So he takes a physical element to communicate a spiritual truth. And then in this feast, in chapter 7, he's using literal water once again to communicate that he is the living water. All right, now let me, let me paint a quick picture for you. He shows up at a public ceremony, the temple, probably bigger than this, um, definitely more crowded than this, probably standing room only. It's the last day, the seventh day. There's eight days in this feast, but the seventh day is, is the final day of celebration. Then on the eighth day, it's a rest day. So on day seven, everyone is just really geared up and they're celebrating Feast of Tabernacles, and it was established to remember God's faithfulness in the wilderness. When the Hebrew children left Egypt and they were going to the promised land, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And God provided. He provided manna, He provided water, and Feast of Tabernacles is to commemorate what God provided for them. Okay, so um, in this ceremony, let me take you back to the setting where Jesus is about to proclaim that. He can give the living water. The priest would take a golden pitcher and he would walk down the decline to the southern part of Israel. Who's been to Israel? I know Jamie and Zoe have several of you. Did you go to the Pool of Siloam? Southern tip of Israel? Jerusalem, southern Jerusalem. Well, imagine it. He's Got the golden pitcher. He's walking down to the southern part of Jerusalem to the pool of Siloam. He takes the golden pitcher and he dips it into the pool and he fills it up. The priest does. And as he's filling it up, he quotes Isaiah 12, 3 that says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. (laughs) Then he walks back up. He marches back up to the temple and he pours it out around the altar, not wetting the altar, just around the altar. And it's commemorating the fact that God always provided water for the children of Israel. He did that every single day. And on the seventh day where this text, our text John 7 is coming from, he did the same thing again. He got the golden pitcher. He walked down to the southern edge of Jerusalem to the Pool of Siloam. He put the water in. He quoted Isaiah again. He walks, marches back up to the temple, pours it around the altar. But this time he does something different. This time he quotes from Isaiah 44, 3. It says, For I will pour out on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your 
descendants. This is the quote, look at it. This is the quote that the priest would say as he's pouring the water. I will pour my spirit upon your offering and my blessing on your descendants. The greatest day of the celebration. The seventh time the priest has gone down to get the water, come back up, poured it on the altar. Everyone is just celebrating and so grateful for what God did in the wilderness for their ancestors. They're just talking about God provides. He provided water. He provided, let's celebrate God provided water. And suddenly in the room, Jesus stands to his feet and with boldness, he loudly declares, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Do you feel the tension in the room? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And a hush came over the room. It was scandalous. Jesus is basically saying what the priest has been doing for years, for generations, for as long as you've been alive. This little celebration, this tradition that you're doing It's referencing me. It's not just to celebrate a God that you can't see. I'm in the room. If you're thirsty, come to me. You don't have to march down to the pool. You don't have to march back up in the heat. You don't have to pour it over the altar. Come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. I can provide a river that won't run dry. And John adds clarification in that moment that Jesus is specifically talking about the Holy Spirit that can't yet be poured out until he dies and he's glorified. The Holy Spirit was given on assignment prior to Jesus dying, by the way. If you read the Old Testament, sometimes you'll see where the Spirit of God came upon someone or Someone in a a womb leapt because they were filled with the Spirit, and that was before Jesus died. Well, Trey, how do you explain that? There are times in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit on assignment could be given. But now since Jesus died, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. In the Old Testament, Joseph was filled with the Spirit in Genesis. Moses was filled with the Spirit in Exodus Uh, Joshua was filled with the Spirit in Deuteronomy. And there were various judges and kings, Saul, David, many that the Spirit of God came upon for a work for them to do. But now, by the sacrifice of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus, you and I have access to the Spirit of God that flows from the throne of God into our hearts without us ever picking up a golden pitcher. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I know some church circles make the Holy Spirit super weird. He's just not. You're going to get to heaven and when you, when, you, when you see Holy Spirit face to face, you're going to be like, you are unusually normal. Because church just does a really good job at making them super weird. I don't know how to describe the mystery of the Trinity. You know, some people use an egg, the eggshell, the yolk, and the white. That's pretty good. Some people use, this is probably the best one, a beam of light that goes through a prism. And when it goes through the prism, it splits into three colors. That's a good illustration. It's, it's one light, yet three functions, right? Three, three beings, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has always existed, Holy Spirit helped form this world. In Genesis chapter 1, we learn that. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a force. He has all the attributes and personalities that you and I do. He has a mind, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He has a will, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. He has emotion, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Holy Spirit is more tangible than we actually give him credit for. He has all of the things that make you human. He has it, except he's not human. 
So who is he? He is those things. I want to give you, in the remaining five minutes, I want to give you 10 (laughs) roles of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to be honest right now. It's going to be longer than five minutes. (laughs) But I won't go too far over. 10 roles of the Holy Spirit. This is where I'm just going to read scripture and I'm going to go, all right? If you're vocal and you say amen and you got it, I won't linger. But if you're quiet, I'm going to teach it. (laughs) The Holy Spirit, uh, first of all, he has a convicting role. John 16, 8, I'll read it. Listen to this. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit has a convicting role. Did you know that the first person involved in your salvation was Holy Spirit? It wasn't God the Father. It wasn't Jesus. It was Holy Spirit that made you aware that you were a sinner who needed a Savior. Not everybody realizes that they're sinners, by the way. Not everybody realizes that they have lost their mind. That they are crazy. They have not encountered Holy Spirit. And so for people in my life who, who don't yet know Jesus, that's one thing that I can pray into. Holy Spirit, will you convict them? Convict them of their nature. Let them understand that they're in need of a Savior. Some people who aren't convicted by Holy Spirit, they just justify their actions. They justify their status, their, their farness from God, their lack of a need of a Savior. They compare themselves. Well, at least I'm not an axe murderer. Does anyone know an axe murderer? Why compare yourself to something you don't even know? If you're going to do that, compare yourself to God. Because if you compare yourself to Jesus, you come woefully short and you understand your need for a Savior. Holy Spirit brings conviction, but not only conviction for salvation, but conviction for sanctification so that I can become a a better representative of Jesus Christ. I can become a better witness because Holy Spirit kind of sometimes lets me know that ain't so good, Trey. Yeah, I know you are saved and on your way to heaven, honey, but listen, that don't look good on you. That thing you've been holding on to, that unforgiveness, that anger, that, that just, that's not good. That, that doesn't represent, that's not, as Pedro was saying, that's not kingdom. Conviction brings salvation and sanctification. So he convicts us to get right and he convicts us to stay right. Can I get a good Amen. amen. You know, the church is, this is a side note, I may need an extra minute for this, but This is good. The church is really good about rebuking guilt and shame. Hear me. I I, I don't know that I've taught on this much. I I hate guilt and shame. I hate it. If you carry guilt and shame, statistically speaking, even in a secular sense, you will go back to the same vomit you left because of the shame that you carried. Shame will always pull you back to what you're trying to get out of. So we're really good in the church of rebuking guilt and shame, but what we need to understand is that every emotion has two sides. Not all guilt and shame is toxic. Some guilt and shame is redeeming. If I, if I do something wrong, I should feel guilt and I should feel a redeeming shame. That's called conviction that leads me back to the cross. I'm afraid in the church we have rebuked shame and guilt so much that we continue to sin victoriously. In rebuking shame and guilt, we're rebuking the convicting role of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a big difference between guilt and shame that leads you to the cross and guilt and shame that leads you to despair. That's where discernment comes in, and that's where you need people in your corner. This is why connect groups are important. This is why church attendance is important. This is why having real authentic relationships where you say more than just hi and bye to someone. 
So they can look into your heart and say, no, 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 you're off there. Yes, what you did was wrong, but today's a new day. The Lord's mercy is renewed today for you. You need to move past that. Let it lead you to the cross and move on. Holy Spirit is just, <laughs> yes, I, I need to go on. He has a convicting role. The next, he has a saving role. Saving role, Titus 3. In fact, would you guys just write these down? You can study them yourself this week and make sure that I'm telling you the truth, okay? Titus chapter 3, 4 through 6 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So Holy Spirit convicts us, but after he convicts us that we need a Savior, he helps us exercise our faith to come into relationship with God. So someone that says, I think I, think I want to believe in Jesus. I think I want to put my faith in Jesus. I think I, I do believe that this cat 2,000 years ago was murdered and put in a grave and rose again. It takes the Spirit of God inside of you agreeing with the truth of what happened two years ago to save your soul. So you were convicted by Holy Spirit, but then the fact that you were able to say, yes, I believe, is the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. Holy Spirit has a saving role. Number three, Holy Spirit has an assuring role. Romans 8, 15 through 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You ever wondered if you were even saved? I have. You even ever wonder if, if I'm actually a children or child of God? You ever have doubt on if God really loves me? I have. That's an indicator that I need to lean into Holy Spirit. I need some assurance from Holy Spirit. I need him to remind me that I am a child of God. I am an heir of God. That's his role. So if you're having doubts, you need to have coffee with Holy Spirit. Wonderful assurance. Next role, Holy Spirit has an empowering role. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts 4.31 says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That word power and boldness comes from the root word dunamis. Dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. The Holy Spirit will light a stick of dynamite in your life over and over and over if you'll allow him to. That's one of his roles. To get you fired up. To get you bold in the faith. To give you power to go in, to Walmart and pray for people. To give you Boldness to go in into Hobby Lobby. Well, I guess everyone there is saved. Go into, well, gosh, I was going to say Chick-fil-A, but that too. <laughs> he will give you power to overcome your temptation. He will give you power to be a witness. He'll give you boldness to offer to pray for somebody who's in a wheelchair Good grief, how many people on crutches and wheelchairs have we passed in this week and we've not stopped to pray for them because we figured they've accepted it, I should just accept it too. The Holy Spirit is an empowering force in your life. The next point, the next role, he is a fruit-producing role. Galatians 5, 22 through 25. I'm almost done, can you stay with me? Fruit-producing role, Galatians 5, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. When we get saved, our spirit is instantly regenerated, instantly made new. We, we are a dead man that comes alive when we get saved. The problem is, our very alive and whole spirit 
is housed in a very broken body of flesh. So you experience what every believer experiences. You get saved, your spirit is regenerated, it's housed in a body that's not regenerated, and that body has desires, it has wants, it has what you call needs, it has all of these things pulling at it, and it's not been rescued from the throes of sin. It's called the flesh. It's what Paul said, the warring of his members. It's why Paul said, there are things that I do that I don't want to do, and there are things that I don't do that I do want to do. There's this internal conflict that goes on inside of every one of us. I don't care how saved you are or how, how holy you think you are. It happens to us all. Our spirit is whole. It is in communion with the Father. It is in line with the river that's flowing from the throne. But our body is at war. Those, those old memories that are haunting you. Those poor decisions that you made that you can't get rid of and you can't outlive. The, the addictions that seem to keep holding on to you. Our body is at war, but guess what? The Holy Spirit has a role to play. It's called the fruit-producing role. When you walk by the Spirit, you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. You're loving, you're patient, you're joyous, full of peace, you're gentle. These are the things that He's working out in you. Even though you live in a body of flesh, it's His job to increase the fruit day by day so that you're more joyous tomorrow than you are today, so that you're more gentle next week than you are today. When you walk by the Spirit, you begin to see the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life. Conversely, when you walk according to the flesh, you see the opposite of that. You will be unloving. You will be abrasive. You won't have peace. You won't have joy. Feeling any of those things that are contrary to the fruit of the Spirit means that you and Holy Spirit need to have a coffee date. The next role He's a gift-giving role. 1 Corinthians 12, I know y'all trying to kick me off. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 11 talks all about the gifts. It's Holy Spirit's job to impart those gifts. The next role that he has is the counseling, comforting role. In John 14, verse 16, verse 26, says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is a counselor and a comforter. His next role is the revealing role. Revealing role. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9-10 through 10 says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit reaches everything, even the depths of God. Holy Spirit reveals things to you. You ever tried to read the Bible and you're like, I'm just not getting it. I don't understand. God, what's your point? What, what are you trying to do? Invite Holy Spirit to the table. It's his job to... Bring revelation to the Word of God. He has a revealing role. The next role he has is a guiding role. Guiding role. John 16, 13 through 14 tells us he will guide you into all truth. You really don't have to worry about these last days. You don't have to worry about the deception as long as you're staying in the flow of the river that won't run dry. He'll guide you into truth. And finally, point number 10, he has an interceding role. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When you're just feeling unsettled and you don't know what to pray for, find yourself alone in a closet, in a bathroom, in a shower, in a car. 
and just let the groanings inside of you come out. And the Holy Spirit will begin to intercede for things that you don't even know you need to pray for. You'll be, you'll be praying over your children. You don't even know what your children are doing. God knows. God knows they need your prayer. You'll, you'll be praying over your health. You don't even know that cell that is dividing inside of you and growing. You don't even know it's there, but Holy Spirit does. And he, he's interceding on your behalf so that there can be healing that takes place. The river begins at the throne, flows into our heart. He does all of these 10 things plus so much more. Flows through our heart to one another. Where does the river end? flows from the throne to my heart, to my family, to my neighbors, to you, to the world. Where does the river end? Isaiah 55 tells us that in verses one through three, it says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Come. Everyone who's thirsty, come. And drink from the river that flows from the throne. Because I'm going to make with you an everlasting covenant. Come. All who are thirsty, come and drink from the river that flows from the throne. Because I'm going to make an everlasting covenant. What's the everlasting covenant? I'm glad you asked. Every covenant that God has ever made, there's been a sign to the covenant. The sign, the covenant with Abraham, the sign was circumcision. The covenant with Noah, the sign was the rainbow. The covenant with Sinai, the sign was sprinkled blood. Here, here's the sign of the covenant, the everlasting covenant that God wants to make with you. That river that flows from the throne, Holy Spirit, that is at work in your life doing these 10 things, it's to lead you to the everlasting covenant. And the everlasting covenant is found in Isaiah 55, verses 12, 13 says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Here's the sign to our covenant. A renewed world that you walk in and the mountains proclaim the glory of God. A renewed world where there used to be briars, but now there's a myrtle tree. Where, where there used to be stickers or pickers or whatever it is that you call them. And now there's just lush greenery. A renewed world where we once saw the headlines of drought all over globally. Millions of children in Africa that were dying. T Texas that was about to experience power outages because of the water issue. The, the Lake Mead about to reach Deadpool status. Deadpool means they're not going to get power from it anymore. The, the farmers who couldn't bear their crops because there's no rain. This, this world that you and I now see broken, the everlasting covenant is coming. And that everlasting covenant is a world that has a river that never runs dry. Please stand with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you today. I thank you so much for Holy Spirit. I thank you that 
The sign to our everlasting covenant is an everlasting world that we're going to get to inhabit, that we're going to get to rule and to reign and live forever with you. Forever is a really long time. We thank you, God. We thank you that in the meantime, Holy Spirit has so many roles in our life. God, I ask that you would help us that you would help us to give him full access, that you'd help us to encounter him in one of the roles that maybe we've held off and we've not allowed him to, to approach us. Maybe someone in the room today just needs the assurance of their salvation. Holy Spirit, come. Maybe someone in the room just needs a bit of conviction. Need a little bit of conviction in your life. God wants to draw you closer to him. Holy Spirit wants you to make a few changes in your world. You've tolerated it for too long. Holy Spirit, come, convict us now. Some of us just need guidance in this moment. I'm trying to wade through the waters of decision. Holy Spirit, come. Won't you guide us? Won't you guide us? Some of us need power. We're tired of being a weak Christian. We're tired of being a silent Christian, a, a Christian all by myself kind of Christian, a Christian who comes to church on a Sunday but is afraid to lift his name on a Monday. God wants to empower you this morning by the presence of God. Whatever it is you need from Holy Spirit this morning, he's ready to pour it out. He's ready to pour it out. If you're in the room this morning or watching online, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Holy Spirit has done his work this morning. He has convicted you of your need for a savior. And even now he is building your faith to say yes, to execute your faith so that you can come into relationship with your creator. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, I just want you to wave at me. Just wave at me so I know who I'm praying for. Everyone just place your hand on your heart. And let's just come alongside those people who are saying yes this morning. There's no formula or certain prayer. It just It's a surrender, a moment of surrender. It goes something like this. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus died I believe that he's the son of God. I believe that he was placed in a grave. And I believe that he rose again. From this moment forward, I choose you since you first chose me. I say yes. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We celebrate. If you said yes, text next to 512-980-1220. For everyone else this week, you're going to have a Holy Spirit encounter. I believe it. And I'll see you next week, 1030 a.m. Invite a friend. God bless you guys. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.